Welcome, everyone, to the Pop Culture Podcast by Fantastic Geek and our ongoing DC Film Fest. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today to talk Superman 2. It's going to be a very interesting discussion. First, though, Pete, have to take a moment to acknowledge uh, the news that broke yesterday of the sad passing of the iconic Carl Weathers. Untimely, uh, you know, slipping away in his sleep Thursday, the news coming yesterday, the tributes pour in. Um, I was not a fan until the Mandalorian, Matt, but I got to tell you, this one hits me hard. Um, He was so vital. He was fully a part of their family, you know, directing. Um, Yeah, just a a partnership. And it seems like everybody that worked with this man uh, just saw his his absolute light. And uh, we are we are worse off today. What struck me too, reflecting on his career, particularly through the lens of the most recent stuff, his appearances, in the Mandalorian is it's the same guy. Like you, you think of some other actors in their seventies or eighties and you can see where they've um, slowed down in their presentation or there's a huskiness in the voice or things of that sort. And don't get me wrong, Pete, do I think that Carl Weathers passed away with the same, you know, uh, Greek God muscles that we saw in the Rocky movies that we saw in predator. Oh, okay. Of course not. The energy was the same. There's this amazing through line from Rocky in the 70s, Predator in the 80s, the comedic stuff in the 90s, this stuff. It's the same glowing heart that was there the entire time. And I think that that only adds to the poignancy of the loss. Yeah. And what I can't help but think about is that season four of the Mandalorian is written. They were prepped to go into production in October. Obviously the strikes played a role there and uh, you know, what more we might've gotten and reflecting too on, on the way his story uh, with the Mandalorian ends that he gives a plot of land to his buddy Mando. I, I can't help, but, hear it in his voice anytime you say the word and Grogu and, you know, calls them his, his little family. Uh, and it's, it really winds up being the perfect place for them to leave that character given he'll not play it again. Um, so just really, really sad, but the, the man had a super full life and gosh, you know, to, to be, as professionally active as he was into his mid to late seventies, God bless him. Be, be peace as he would often tell people on Twitter. In other pop culture news, Pete, uh, the section 31 movie has begun filming. Uh, I think we're certainly looking forward to that. I do have to say with the slightest bit of, of jealousy and I shouldn't be jealous Pete all Star Trek is welcome and so on and so forth but part of me is like I know that these I know that this movie could have been a little bit more discovery 
uh, or maybe a faster timeline towards the Academy show, uh, which is to say stories that are Star Trek at their best sustaining series. Um, but that's not to say I'm down on the movie in any capacity. It is Star Trek once again, giving us more when once we thought there would be less, um, given some of the upcoming ownership changes to Paramount, the fact that this project that was happening then is not was not happening now is happening as a movie that's a positive too so i, I imagine it's a at earliest fall 2024 uh release you know probably more like winter 2025 but i'll take it when it's ready yeah i don't think we'll see it this year was surprised how soon they've gone into production uh what do you know about a largely uh canadian cast uh in uh you know close proximity to toronto interesting too that they're filming as strange new worlds is filming on what i have to imagine are going to be a lot of shared sets maybe they're doing a lot of outdoor stuff and uh crossing with each other but yeah it's great that that's finally happening although five years ago was was announced and it was announced as a series and i just feel terrible that uh bo Yun kim and uh erica lipholt who were to run that show you know went to showrunner school and everything uh acts of discovery never never got to steward that well pete bringing it back to the world of uh, comic book storytelling here albeit on the marvel side for a moment uh the marvels now on digital will be on disney plus uh my goodness pete just next week that's mm -hmm. how quickly that has come uh and of course we have our podcast for it on the marvel movie feed and uh that was a movie that both you and i we were very enthusiastic about is it the greatest comic book movie of all time no uh a great great adventure worth seeing from beginning to end and after the ending as well and I think it's going to continue to find eyeballs and people are going to appreciate it now that it's available. Might not have gone out of their way to watch it. Okay. And, and now they'll have that availability and we'll see what they think. Pete, with that, let me take you to the, 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 the late 1970s when production on Superman 1 and Superman 2 were concurrent. Then there were story issues, so they paused work on those concurrent productions. Finished up Superman 1, uh, took some of the ending story elements from Superman 2, i.e. reversing time. Put that into Superman 1, figuring the first one has to be a hit for the second one to be viable. It can't be the other way around. When they go back to... Superman 2, uh, director Richard Donner ultimately is fired by the producers. Richard Lester is elevated to director there. Contentious, contentiousness in the air. Uh, Christopher Reeve, his contract had, had lapsed by the time that uh, uh, the production picked up again. So there was stuff there and there were people upset. Some of the Warner Brothers producers didn't come back over loyalty to Richard Donner, et cetera, et cetera. And it's 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 in that environment that this film gets made. So you're saying we went from one dick to another? Um, yes. And Pete, let's start at the beginning, shall we? I will say this. The, though I, I may have some negative things to say about this film along the way, um weirdly I found it weirdly enchanting that we do the previously on 
Superman. Um, I will grant you, you know, in the world of, uh, you know, where everything isn't streaming or it's not, you know, your VHS tapes all lined up, the notion that it had been two years since the last Superman movie. So maybe unless you had gone out of your way to see a re-release or something like that, which I don't know how big Superman one was in the world of re-releases, the montage in the beginning, the John Williams score used here by Ken Thorne, more on the John Williams story in a little bit. Um, it was just like, I remember that movie, albeit in my timeline from last week when I watched it for the podcast, but it was like, yeah, I, adventure we're back. It, it, so that was a, that was a hearty opening. It is a great use of the credit sequence to do that. And something that's since set a precedent, right? We've, we've seen this now a number of times where you'll do this. Um, and where the, the first film is good. I, I think it's another reason that the second is must watch. Uh, you don't need to see the first one because they give you this stuff here. And, uh, for my money, I think for a lot of people, it is the more complete adventure. Pete seamless transition there. Speaking of money, the deal that Marlon Brando had for the first movie, it was some, I don't, I have to confess, I don't have it in front of me, but it, it was some insane, uh, thing like, you know, for, for a movie that was made for about $50 million, his deal was like $8 million up front and then 12% of the gross. So he ended up making 12 or $15 million or something like that out of a movie. Again, not all of it out of the budget, some of it out of the profits, but for a movie that cost $50 million, he made like 15. So just think of those percentages there. They declined yeah. to bring him back for this, which huh, means I wonder why. <laughs> okay. Look, they, they knew ahead of time that he was problematic and they knew ahead of time he was expensive, but somehow they decided to solve. They, they even have a uh, credit to the character's voice yet. It's very clearly not his voice. Yeah. Um, which Pete, since you mentioned it, um, one of the people who also refused to come back for the Richard Lester portion of this shoot uh, was Gene Hackman. And you can tell, so he's in it. He's in it from the Richard Donner portion. Um, but uh, when Gene Hackman, not, not only did he refuse to come back to film, he also refused to come back to do uh, voiceover stuff. So some of the uh, heading north with Miss Tessmacher portion, and I know, I know we don't want to go necessarily super out of order, but listen carefully because that's not Gene Hackman doing those lines. That's someone else. That I was unaware of. Um, but right from the get-go with this film where these criminals we've glimpsed in the original reemerge, commit a murder of a guard there, non snapping a neck. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of the start of the reuse before we get that whole segment of the trial. And there's my favorite, you know, uh, hula hoop prison things again um you know we we understand the stakes don't just give superman a super villain give him three that we've set them up in the original and now we're unleashing them in the sequel um to where clark is checking into the daily planet there's strangely a uh, a worker 
bringing a bicycle frame into the Daily Planet newsroom that makes no sense whatsoever. That's kind of like wrapped in cardboard. <laughs> and then um, perfect uh, hat rack flip. I want to know how many times they uh, they filmed that there, uh, courtesy of uh, Christopher Reeve. To my eyes, it looked like they were back at the the New York Daily News newsroom, although I'm thinking of some of the, the destruction that happens there later on, so maybe it's not. Um, but it's such a great it's such a great setting, whether it's a set or whether they're back at the real one as they were with the first one. Again, it's this kind of weird thing of the first one is also sometimes the second one because there are elements in this less than 50% of this movie, but more than 0% was shot as part of the original shot with Richard Donner and all that. So it's this weird mix and i know you can go on the wikipedia and the imdb to to say you know here's individual moments in the newsroom where it's particularly i guess you can tell i didn't particularly notice but you could tell with with margot kidder here she is looking thinner here she is looking more gaunt here this and that the other in terms of where the time is but um but in this scene pete we're checking all the boxes uh perry white jimmy olsen um the whole newsroom newsroom thing that the story doesn't have tons and tons of time to show, you know, the inner workings of this great uh, metropolitan newspaper, but uh, still we're, we're, we're checking in with all those characters. Yeah. And this whole Eiffel tower Lois has been sent to for the terrorists and the hostages on the Concord, uh, which has gotten her, ahead of Clark over there for the hydrogen bomb. And I just love Perry White's idea that uh, Lewis will get an interview with the bomb uh, titled What Makes Me Tick. By the way, this Eiffel Tower portion, uh, part of the Richard Lester portion. So that's that's a that's you know, new for this movie. Um, I do have to say, Pete, again, what do I, I have a lot of expectations out of a Superman movie and the movie has its own expectations given that they've already set up in the first one, you know, General Zod and company in the Phantom Zone, but obviously we're not going to hit there quite yet. Um, so the notion that we do have this Paris portion of the story, fine, it's, it's, it was shot as part of the revamped production and so forth, you know, iconic location, iconic threat, um, it kind of all works. It's it also gives us, um, you know, scenes of like Superman flying, which I'm not trying to downplay in any way. I mean, what's the most evocative thing of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, which are, well, the first two of which are pretty flawless. You know, it's those just camera shots where you're where you're you know swinging in out of the canyons of New York. Similarly here, yeah, let's get Superman flying over the ocean. Let's get him flying over the, the countryside and so forth. Um, and it's a perfectly fine scene. It's also going to set up the, the, the trio being freed from the, the, the phantom zone, but on its own, it's great. We get to see Lois Lane in action doing her wily reporter stuff, including, you know, can you translate this for me? And then running to the, you know, running past the guard and so forth. You know, again, she's not going to get as much screen time as Superman and Clark Kent and Zod and Ursa and Nan. And there's a, you know, and, 
Lex Luthor, et cetera, et cetera. There's a big, big line of story priorities ahead of her, but there she is, Pete, doing her thing. It's the perfect level of action for Lois Lane, um, understanding who the character is. And via that, this mini adventure is perfect to create the inciting incident and set the criminals free from the Phantom Zone. Yeah. Um, and I feel like there's, I'm not, oh, this way, Pete, I'm not going to be critical of things like, and when they're freed, it looks like weird green screen and things like that. You know, I think sometimes even today, today, last 10, 15 years, um, getting, you know, person flying by a green screen or things like that, it, it can be challenging of it. I'm not going to take points off for a movie released in uh, in uh, summer 1981 in the United States. Um it doesn't look great. Eh, it doesn't look great. I would argue too. You know, they make up for it as they're slowly making their way to Earth. Some of the the scenes on the moon here, I almost felt like you could uh, kind of backtrack for like, okay, what can we do with wires? What can we do to simulate weightlessness? What are gags that we could do with astronauts? But you know what? They all work. The guy kind of sent out on the tether, and she pulls the tether back. Um, you get this growing sense of dread. You see their growing power when the moon lander, the the astronauts trying to take off and, and will it start in time and the, the, the practical shattering of it. It's all really, really good stuff. And this attack on the moon that uh, NASA's uh, Cliff Clavin, who's been promoted from film one to film two as a different character here, just just missed uh is the perfect way to illustrate the sadism of these villains that they've reached the moon that they're coming to terms the realization of the power that they now have because of earth's sun uh to to see them toy with these astronauts in the weightless environment uh, and set up, oh, wait, planet Houston uh, to, to go there. All the while, the Earthbound action has things like Lois, uh, you know, becoming obsessed with orange juice and uh, Otis and Lex Luthor uh, still in jail, but uh, working the laundry detail, of course, with a, a, a master plan to somehow track superman and what we as the audience know oh when he disappears to the north he's going to the fortress of solitude and the mastermind uh who's played less as a big bad in this movie and more as the butt of jokes um you know figuring it all out yeah i had forgotten the role that Lex Luthor and company play in this film. Um, and it's a weird choice. It's a weird choice to take this great villain and to kind of put him as a supporting, supporting actor. I don't even necessarily mean that in terms of screen time. Um, I think for example, of the Jeff Bridges character in the first Iron Man movie where 
you know, you total up his screen time relative to Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. and so forth, and it's it certainly is a lot less. It is a supporting role, not a starring role, um, but he's clearly the main big bad, you know? Uh, here, it's kind of like, yeah, again, I don't want to overly hit the whole, there was the one shoot, and then they the revamped shoot to fix the second movie and so forth. I do wonder how much Gene Hackman's lack of availability played in this however this clearly is superman versus the three kryptonian villains that's your that's your log line for superman 2 going back to the opening scenes from superman 1 um so maybe they didn't fully have a plan on how to use lex luthor other than we got gene hackman um but uh yeah it's just it's a it's a curious use maybe it's also a place to be finding comedy in a movie where they want to be having comedy along with drama, along with action and all of that. So yeah, just weird, weird combinations here. Comic book movies were, you know, in their infancy to look at a tone that had even been established and okay, so let's bring in that humor. Hackman's got that range. Whereas, you know, as great as, Terrence Stamp is and when he does things that are supposed to be humorous uh you know it's it's always a little cringy right like when he's admiring himself in the in the camera uh on planet Husson um so that works and for the the hologram balloon escape plan with Luther, who of course abandons Otis and escapes with Miss Tessmacher, uh, setting them off uh, to the Great White North, while we have uh, Lois and Clark undercover posing as honeymooners uh, to the Canadian side of uh, Niagara Falls. Two thoughts. First, that hologram gag was so well done. I mean, it's clearly a split screen, split screen situation where the guard they're actually the two guys are in the background and the guard walks to the other side and the two actors are still sitting there in reality. And they're doing the old, you know, split screen trick here. The sound effect. <laughs> What's that? The sound effect. Yeah. But just the whole, but you know, to then also have the real film projector that's projecting a similar setup of the two of them sitting there on his chest. Like it's one of those things where, you can have the barest special effects knowledge again, just of like split screen, the most basic special effect that's out there from, you know, optical printing going back to the thirties, if not before, but it doesn't make it any less magical that like, they're just using it in a really effective way here. The guy steps into the projector beam and you have the other guys, the, the actors, you remove them. It was just really, really magical there. Um, as for the Niagara Falls stuff, it was funny because again, I know I saw Superman 2 in childhood, as we discussed last week. Um, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but it's way, way less than the first one. I definitely remembered Niagara Falls in general. I remembered uh, the kind of honeymoon suite and kind of being like, oh, so this is this is this is what grownups do when they go to, go on honeymoons. OK, got it. <laughs> this is what the honeymoon suite looks like. Um, having your honeymoon I, suite didn't look like that. Um, it did not have a pink bear rug or whatever that was <laughs> didn't have a fire that could kill you um but 
But it couldn't kill you. It would just, uh, you know, your hand would go in it and not burn. Um, what I did get a I kick out of. <laughs> what I did get a kick out of personally, having been to Niagara Falls just once, but that would have been like 15 years ago. You know, th- there's a it, it, wonderful, natural, uh, you know, one of the great wonders of the world and so forth. But th- there's only so much square footage, like when you're on the Canadian side walking closer to the falls to get the great views, like to be like, oh man, I've been there, I've been there. Then they do the reverse shot. In the background, they have a big, uh, looks similar to like the Seattle Space Needle. There's a big tower with a rotating restaurant on there. I was like saying to my wife, like, look, that's where we were. That's where we, we ate there, you know. So that was, personally, that was fun. Um, I don't know. As a, again, coming from the history of the, the Superman comics, Lois Lane so quickly starting to figure out his identity. From the comics perspective, I take some exception. That said... It's the second Superman well, in movie. the Donner Cut, which have you seen? You know, it's funny, Pete. I actually have a DVD of the Donner Cut, and I was going to watch it instead of the regular cut, and it wouldn't play. <laughs> it, it wouldn't play in my downstairs DVD player. I don't know. I mean, and I was like, do I go upstairs? And the upstairs TV was being used, so I was like, eh, some other time. Like, let me finish. You know, I want to... This was a couple days ago, but I was like, let me make sure I'm completely ready to go, you know, for the podcast. But... What info can you give from the Donner cut? Well, just that from the jump in that cut, Lois suspects Clark of being Superman. So it's a little bit more consistent with that. Um, Here, this setup of the misbehaving child. Isn't it funny that for a second Superman movie, a kid is a a setup here of uh, Superman's powers you know on the other side of the railing shades of the the kid sequence in the first one and that there's a smack and there's discipline um you know a child hit uh for interacting with superman um you know clark grabs him the first time and then you know the well he doesn't grab him the mother comes along he kind of points it out but that the kid is fully on the other side of the railing and people are just going about it. <laughs> it's just for me baffling. Um, uh, maybe Pete, you're suggesting that it's not the most thoughtful script or production or so forth, but does it get the job done in order for Superman to show up? I mean, he also falls forever <laughs> <laughs> so that Superman can swoop in like, yeah, that's that's not how gravity works. He is not on moon gravity when he falls. <laughs> I'm certainly sympathetic that a Superman story, a Superman movie that is not going to spend time telling you the origin of Superman. You know, we did that in the first movie that there's all these boxes that have to be checked, including you can't spend too much time with Clark Kent, but you can't spend too little because then you're moving away from Lois Lane and or the Daily Planet and you need to get report reportering stuff in there and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what I will say out of this scene that again, it's a simple, it's a bo- brain numbingly simple trick, but tour after he's done the save and so forth, when he flies on in, he fly, Superman flies on back, goes behind the 
uh, the hot dog stand. And then Clark Kent walks out the other end. Again, we all know what they did. We all know that they stopped the camera, had the camera locked down, said nobody touched the camera, had him change out of the one outfit, hair, makeup, costume, this, that, the other. Okay, go behind the thing. Three, two, one, action, walk out. We all know how it's made. Even back then, this was not some sort of, oh man, how did they make lightsabers or the Death Star? Because it's not <laughs> difficult stuff. But here's what you see. You see Superman land and Clark Kent walk out because he's got the powers that move so fast you can't see it because the hot dog stand. And it just it's, it just works. And Lois now starting to put this together uh, soon to test her hypothesis by jumping into uh, the river a little later. Uh, but in the meantime, Lex Luthor and Miss Tessmacher arrive at the Fortress of Solitude. And of course, uh, not Marlon Brando, uh, mom, the stand in here uh, to to point out that, hey, hey, maybe a nuclear blast uh, would release the criminals from the phantom zone so watch out for that by the way oh oh bad guys like superman okay put a pin in that um and then matt how do the kryptonians know uh, have joyce kilmer's uh trees poem from thousands of years in the past uh, pete i i'm not here to defend the script i'm not here to defend the choices i, I who knows um if yeah, if you're saying that there's not a consistency there, I would agree. Um, things are only going to get more, more and more wacky as this movie unfolds. Um, and I think it's it's a fair criticism. I'm glad you're you're the one being critical because I'll bring more of that in a bit. Uh, and then to have the criminals land on the planet Houston and start all the you know, really foreboding stuff. I mean, you, you talked about the um, composer a little earlier. Uh, I was unaware it wasn't Williams here, but the theme given to the villains really, really foreboding really works uh, through the big throwdown in the, uh, the big apple. So, you have that looming threat. You have that Luthor has figured out where uh, Superman goes and has now learned more uh, and these alpha waves that he can piece these together. So the, the plot's really coming along. And, and then you have the B plot. You have the romantic plot here. And uh, Lois has been foiled with trying to uh, get Superman to, to show up to save her because, of course, Clark knows she's trying to do that and, uh, you know, eludes that trap. But there's the Freudian trip, right, that, you know, oh, shucks, I, I did that to myself where he falls into the fire and his his hand is unburned because he really wants to be able to tell Less that he is Kal-El. Returning to the music for a moment, here's the story, Pete. Uh, John Williams slated to come back. He has a screening with uh, the producer, Ilya Silkind, Salkind, and director Richard Lester. Uh, Salkind leaves the projection, projection room 
and uh, Williams and Lester get into an argument, which concludes with Williams saying he cannot get along with this man and leaves the project. Just for How reference, can possibly get into a fight with John Williams. Why? Furthermore, just just for reference here, I know we said last week, you know, John Williams, fifty four time Oscar nominee. Just for reference, when he would have screened this movie, he was merely a 13-time nominee with three Oscars. And you get into a fight with him. Richard yeah. Lester, I've never heard of you <laughs> Pete, until, you, you, you know, watching this and, oh, there, there was another Richard who replaced the other Richard that, that I know. Like, where's your brain, yeah, dude? Yeah. Um. <laughs> And as a, as a as an anecdote or a postscript or whatever you want to call it, let's now fast forward just for the briefest of moments to um, when, I don't know, well, when Home Alone gets offered to John Williams or there's something like that, or John Williams says, I'd like, I have a little interest in this movie. Like John Williams wanted to do Home Alone. It wasn't that they just said, we hire you. And he was like, okay, I guess it's a job. He wanted to do it. And they were like, oh my goodness, this has now elevated our movie. And, you know, the, the the music from it, such a part of Home Alone. Also, either the score or the song, I think maybe just the song, that's another source of an Oscar nominee for John, nomination for John Williams. Just point being, other people go, wow, John Williams elevates my silly kid fools around and protects his house movie. John Williams makes it better, was what Chris Columbus and others said. Back to Superman 2 here, I guess Richard Lester didn't need him. Apparently not, but you know this uh, this Kryptonian uh, criminal uh, theme still cooks. Okay, uh, we we still have the reuse of Williams' signature themes, um, but in the midst of the burgeoning love story now between Clark, Superman, Lois, uh, we have kind of a slapsticky all right hey these cops you know they have a wide selection uh coming across uh the the criminals zod and company and again all the foreboding business there and really matt we begin our uh product placement portion burger king uh logo inside the uh restaurant with the wide selection for no explicable reason whatsoever other than they were a corporate partner and you get your superman 2 glasses now at burger king uh speaking of the police i had no idea that clifton james was in this movie and i think he appears in the credits (laughs) i was like wait it's uh it's it's sheriff jw pepper from two james bond movies um pete living his best life i guess two james bond movies and a superman movie in less than 10 years along with you know other uh, other areas of his uh his resume there but yeah the, the we're entering a portion where this movie works least for me the slapstick stuff uh again from a please mr zod put my daddy down <laughs> I'm speaking with a British accent in middle America from a, you know, like, okay, it's 1979 and you're making this movie, which is already a troubled production. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I understand there are limits to what you could do 
There are limits to what you could imagine in a script that could actually be executed on screen and things like, you know, punch you and you are, you are very hard to, you know, you, you're physically hard as steel and so forth. Okay, fine. Or, um, when, uh, you know, when guy in Burger King gets thrown out the window, okay, it's going to be a wire gag and, and things of that sort. He lands, he lands in a patch of patch of earth that looks like it's over, you know, padding and so forth. Like, yeah. Like <laughs> I understand, I understand that there's not much better solutions when you are in a little bit of a box that is like Superman and, Kryptonians do things like fly and laser eyes and so forth. Um, Pete. And blow the flamethrower back at the building. Uh, telekinesis point power was new to me and kind of felt like it was being made up on the spot. Um, but uh, okay. Again, we're in the part of the movie where I'm like, oh, it's starting to come back to six or seven year old me about why I don't like this movie. <laughs> the world learning about zod uh and his cohorts here including the president the the use of the television crew like i said before terrence stamp oddly mugging but it it works and it's funny uh into the camera there um and then again intercut with uh clark and and lois you know the the preparation here to give up his powers that he doesn't know what's going on. Um, the president is then surrendering after somebody's doubling for him. Uh, and Zod sniffs that out and just the really great, uh, line there, you know, Oh God, Zod <laughs> correcting him, uh, before, um, you know, Clark has fully taken on humanity going into the machine, totally rever unreversible. You will be like this forever. Don't even think of take takey backsies. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, look, I don't like the story flourish of the only way he can be his best self is by, you know, giving up his powers and all that. It, it, <laughs> Is it perhaps necessary for some Superman stories? Sure, that's the whole conceit of red kryptonite. I mean, I know that we're also using the red Kryptonian sun here, but you know, believe me, Superman writers before this needed to take away Superman's powers, and it's happened before and it's happened since. So I understand it's it's a tool in the toolbox. Um, I do, for as much as I was holding my nose throughout that whole scene, I do like the artistic visual of after the powers have happened. It's like metaphorically they are splitting it's not meant to be the physical split that pete i have some vague fever dream memory do i remember correctly that in superman 3 which we are not repeat not doing for the dc <laughs> film fest that there's like superman good and superman bad yes which, okay. which is among the oddly most watchable parts of that film that i was not ripped away from uh my grandmother uh, infamously took us out of the film's climax in the computer core to just eviscerate the pimply faced teenager who was standing in for the manager at that, uh, that theater that day on the quality or lack thereof of the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
yeah just a just a core memory for me and we had to we had not seen the end of the film we had to finish it at home when it hit cable so it was like all right what happens at the end of this one oh oh look the the sister becomes a robot lady and all right maybe maybe it was best left unseen <laughs> maybe maybe the adventure we finished in our minds and <laughs> and played in the backyard too was better than what they actually came up with with not lex luthor lex luthor robert vaughn and his sister and blonde miss tessmacher um you referenced how the film makes clear that this is unreversible, which is interesting because again, I don't want to go vastly out of order, but Oh, cause I have a, I have a question for you in a moment. Okay. Apparently in the original Superman two that used Marlon Brando, he would get the powers back by like dad's, you know, hologram or whatever. Right. We've seen that now with, with Jor-El and Lara in these two movies, the hologram, the fortress of solitude, it would have been, you, you know, that painting of like God touching Adam. I think it's a Da Vinci, yes. you know, the, right. It would have been in, in that moment. And Pete, that was taken out for being too over the top. And it was like, but we all would have understood the reference and it would have been like, I don't really know how any of these things work, but that there's the God returning powers to, to, to man, to the Superman. Um, as opposed to in this movie where it's just like, oh, he gets his powers back because you weren't in that scene. So how long is uh, Clark without his powers uh, in this film? Are we counting a practical human travel time from wherever the Fortress of Solitude is back to civilization? No, 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 no. I mean, like on screen. On screen. Okay. Um, I would guess... 45 minutes out of a two hour. This is a two hour movie. I'd say 45 minutes. He is mortal for exactly 13 minutes, <laughs> which, you know, that to me in retrospect is the thing that holds up the worst yet. The dread of these three super villains and the white house having fallen and surrender at that point, like the the low point in the diner where Mr. Wonderful beats up Clark. OK, he bleeds his own blood. Nobody makes Superman bleed his own blood. Oh, wait a minute. He's not Superman anymore. OK, he's he's trying to do the honorable thing and protect Lois from this trucker. It's it's just a savage beatdown. OK, and and we are completely leveled to a low point. Um, and then he's realized the mistake and I must go back that entire sequence of him not having the powers way too short, 13 minutes. I, I feel like structurally it works just in terms of you're right. We have these parallel stories that we know will intersect that the world will need a Superman to fight these three villains. Meanwhile, he's making the personal choice to, to give that up, not knowing the threat, etc. cetera. Um, so I get the structure. I mean, the trucker scene is so weird. I'd love to say it's an example of the buffoonery and tomfoolery of Richard Lester. Uh, but apparently it's a Richard Donner scene to a point where Richard Donner has a cameo in it. Uh, and the producers 
at the very least kept that scene in or they kept the cameo in as proof that the producers were nice because if they were mean, they would have cut Richard Donner's cameo. <laughs> so it's like, look how nice we are that we only, all we did was fire this guy, but we kept his, uh, his cameo in it. it, it weirdness abounds. Um, I'll Thank say goodness they dropped that one green crystal though, Matt, you know, no takey backsies. Oh, wait, didn't say if you didn't drop a crystal, we could do the presto change you get them back. Well, and that's what I find curious, that all the scenes with Lara were shot for, again, we'll just call it the Richard Lester portion, not the Richard Donner portion. All the scenes with Lara were shot by Richard Lester, right, when they picked up production again on Superman 2. So the fact that you're already filming. I know that that's not the power, the power removal scene, but you already have everybody on set. You could have her say, speak dialogue like, and only if, and only when, or whatever your, whatever your scripted out is going to be, that's the time to plant it. Um, choices were made, Pete. Um, <laughs> I, I will say something positive here. Uh, I dug seeing E.G. Marshall, uh, you know, veteran, Hollywood actor, also uh, familiar as one of the dads in Christmas Vacation. Um, I, I think he did a nice job as the president. The whole, his whole surrender. I mean, uh, you know, I think we, we all want, you know, Martin Sheen or insert your favorite TV uh, movie president to kind of be that. This was my film president growing up, though. Okay, like, yeah. I, this was the guy, like, every time I imagine a movie with a president you know as much as i love independence day like the the action hero president doesn't work it's you know this type of presidential role not a big actor not a big name uh but somebody that you buy in the moment and that they protected him and then that he grabs the the microphone superman are you listening to me the the panic in his voice and then you know the zod moment you know we have listeners who have written in about you know how iconic stamps zod is and you know it's it's wonderful you know the the kneel before zod and the and your ass you know the the snooty uh nature of the character like as a child, completely buying into the Empire Strikes Backification of Superman here. We have we have put him in his darkest, darkest moment. How are they going to get out of this? He has been stripped of his powers. These three bad guys. I know that three is is greater than one. Okay. They're now Luthor is working with them and they're bored because it's been such an easy, uh, you know, uh, conquering. And uh, here he comes and it, it works again because of Hackman, you know, making this funny. What does he want? Australia still wants the land, the beachfront property. And we are set on this collision course Superman's got to get the powers back. He has to fight them. Um, and, you know, 
the setup with the the Daily Planet and them coming in and just tearing that place and New York apart. And again, that's where, uh, first of all, that's where almost undoubtedly that's a set. And that's not, uh, you know, the Daily News, uh, New York Daily News uh, newsroom as with the first one. Um, You have me thinking, Pete, a more cohesive production. Would you have had Lex Luthor be like the Lex Luthor that we see in this movie, particularly this portion here where he's kind of the 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 smarmy facilitator uh we're gonna see a little bit later he's is he trying to play both sides no it's really the side of evil but then he's gonna try and claim it was both sides like if that had been lex luther in movie one and then again this would involve me you know moving around major portions of the plot here i'm just saying in terms of a lex luther trajectory movie one he's kind of that wheeler and dealer um you can continue with the gag of the different wigs going on and then movie two the greatest criminal mind of our time kind of doing, you know, doing more of that bad stuff, um, ending up with him, you know, the, the, the lack of the wig being revealed, the, the bald Lex Luthor and all that versus this movie where I think they were just like, uh, Gene, why don't you just show up at seven o'clock every day? We'll, we'll put your makeup on and we'll, we'll comb your hair and we'll put you in a suit and we'll get you on the set, you know? Um, but the destruction of the newsroom and then this whole battle of, uh, Battle of New York, can we call it that, Pete? In a, in a non-Marvel podcast here, um, it's a bunch of great gags. I and mean, again, I would like to think that non is more powerful than a big guy going through drywall. Um, and and you know, I, I'd like to think that uh, Zod is more powerful than can punch a fake desk that is going to fall apart in two pieces. Uh, but again, what you know, you can only do do with as you have for the technology. Uh, when they end up out on the street, you know, is every effect perfect? No, but stuff like throwing the bus and it's tumbling, and you're you're using things like real footage and rear projector, and the bus is up and the screen is down, you know, all of that stuff. It's a it's a fight scene that works. It is, however, Pete, uh, a fight scene that leaves me wishing I had. Uh, a nice toasted product grown in the sun. Uh, be able to be able to ha- enjoy a nice a nice Marlboro cigarette, and then wash it down with a Coca Cola. Well, I'm contractually obligated to point out that the big throwdown in the in the Big Apple was brought to you by Omni, Marlboro, Coca Cola, Avita, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and JBC. Um, I know the that... product placement in this sequence is off the chain yeah it's almost as if that they had this international phenomenon on their hands and went to the burger kings and the coca-colas and said do you want to be part of this you know for having the burger king glasses at uh you know as a child for empire strikes back you know they they didn't have to have uh, luke drinking blue milk out of them on dagobah <laughs> Uh, how much do you think the Philip Morris company paid to get their product placement in this film? Uh, bearing in mind, again, just for some just for some numbers here, the movie was budgeted at fifty four million dollars, ends up making one hundred ninety million dollars. It's uh, the fourth most, the fourth biggest hit of nineteen eighty one. How much do you think they paid? Uh, all right, they, they probably afforded much of the rest of the cast that weren't the principals with what they got. 
forty thousand dollars. Oh, or maybe not. Yeah. Um, I mean, still, you know, for for the product placement, and and there it is forever. You know, when when Marlboro cigarettes no longer exist, be looking back at this like, oh, what was that truck? Oh, that was for the cigarettes. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's so of an age. You know, the the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, oh, you forgot your change. Lady, you know, the wig humor and the ice cream and all that, you know, it is at the same time dire, but in a Shakespearean way knows that it needs to lay off the gas a little and make it funny. You know, we can't have the death. I mean, there's uh, Perry White being raised to the drop ceiling and being knocked unconscious by his head going through that. Um, and look at Superman's entry into this sequence with, you know, White House surrenders on the papers and then they flip because of the wind. It's it's iconic. And the characters voicing what we're feeling, man, this is going to be good. And then the guy, wow, home run. Um, but inexplicably, Matt, other than for drama the lady coming out of mother care with the, with the uh, baby carriage that just stands there. Uh, and then, all right, she's going to cover the baby and absorb the blow, but she very clearly could have gotten out of the way. Um, and the realization to these not so quick on the uptake criminals that, you know, Oh, we can't use kryptonite in this film because that would weaken us too. What's Superman's true weakness? Humanity. I feel like you're describing you're describing a slightly better movie than I saw. Um, but all the pieces are there. And again, this is this is a solid fight. I think that it would be mean-spirited to take to take off too many points for effects that have not aged great. Um, just because it, it's not the fault of the movie. I, uh, I'm thinking weirdly, there's like a super long shot at one point where there's, um, just, you know, average woman on the street who's been struck by debris. That's like, you know, she says something like Superman save us or somebody, a cop is coming over to comfort her. Like to a point where I was like, oh my goodness, is she like really hurt? And then it was like, no, yeah, this the, is the pathos of the onlookers is is felt and then by the time you know oh they killed superman the the mob you know you you really feel that i i think it's a look the the effects don't hold up it would be silly to think that they would i mean 40 years from now matt oh they that was cgi they didn't ai the effects to get it in your brain so that you dropped uh Suspension of disbelief. Um, they shot this know, in two D. They didn't do it in three D <laughs> for my for my visor. You know, yeah, right, yeah. Come on, we're in an Apple Pro environment now. Okay, like you're you're going to participate in the action. Um, but God, as as a child, you absolutely bought this. You were just terrified of what was going on, and. What does Superman do? He flees. Another dude? Oh, man, he chickened out. I knew it. 
you know, like they hit the the whole gamut of emotions in that sequence. You know, Lois is forlorn by this. The Luine character at one point is like, oh, look, they have powers just like he does. And, you know, like, wait, you're on the same team there. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's a good moment. I mean, very, pretty quickly with, you know, Superman heading to the Fortress of Solitude now. Our three baddies need to head there too, but also need to take Lois and take Luther. So now it's like they're going for back ridesies, and it's like <laughs> this looked so much better in the comics. And it kind of retroactively, it's like let's go back to the "Can you read my mind?" sequence in the first one. The song, the, the spoken song beat poem is still weird, but the the hand holding we're both flying thing. Like you kind of realize in retrospect, that's a lot more elegant than like, you need to sit on my back and we're, <laughs> we're going to fly. But because it's two people and like, I can only imagine from a safety perspective, like they probably weren't harnessed or if they were, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like harnessed 20 feet over the ground. Like it's probably like, and we're going to have you lay on a mattress. They're going to lay on top of me and everything's green. So it's going to be like flying and stuff. Like, Oh boy. And Pete, the only way it could get worse is if at the climax of the movie, people just trip. Um, but we'll get there in due course. <laughs> but they've cornered Superman now, right? In his home, in effectively their annexed home of, uh, you know, this, this Kryptonian knowledge. And then to trick the mastermind, it it's up for grabs whether Superman learned to lie or basically, you know, learns to uh, exploit Luthor's flaw, that of being a snake of his ego, uh, and then the the future ruler of Australia, uh, you know, told to to fire the the thing up, and the reverse is done where the powers are taken away outside and he was safe in there. Um, Luther, of course, explaining it to us after heights kill falls into forever kill the bad guys and the aforementioned trip. Pete, the climax of this movie is it should be taught in film school as uh the biggest example of bull feathers since Biff Tannen drove into a truck that was filled with bull feathers. So let's just recap here. One of the, uh, the, the, the whole holograph copy thing, it's a little wonky. It's a little laser, uh, laser. It's a little uh, lazy writerly, but fine. What about it, the, uh, the use of the Superman logo that, uh, as Saran wrap? That's the lowest of the low. Like, Hey, here's a bunch of bull. All of a sudden, he can just take a copy of his chest shield, which I just thought was spandex, and he can throw it at a guy who's as powerful as him, leading to the guy being briefly knocked down. You see fight choreography. Da 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 da. Let alone the fact that it's like, you know, the fight, and then they just then they just fall into the mists, and it's like that's our that's our conclusion. There is they just trip and fall and. That's it. And good news, you know, points like off for girls fight girls points for in that 
Lois kills one of the bad guys. Um, the the hand crushing and and throwing Zod in is good. Um, non not being able to fly anymore and uh, I'm going to fly. The flying is not happening and going down. Not good. Um, but it it does what it needs to in a tidy way that you know you had to get rid of these threats again why superman is so difficult to write for um i think it's a decent enough solution for the time and uh you know we we wind up back in uh normal environs but still with the problem of lois knowing who superman is so you know Prince Charming needs to kiss her and take it all away. Well, and I I think of the end of Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 2, where they've taken most of those two movies for Peter Parker to reveal himself to Mary Jane Watson. At the end of it, you know, maybe we have a chance at settling down and there's love in this and the other. But no, there's the next thing that requires Spider-Man. So he swings off and the camera, instead of doing another flag wavy, you know, Canyon of New York moment, off he goes and we just stick on Mary Jane as she deals with all those emotions there. And you go, ah, the, 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 the beauty and the tragedy of heroism and so forth. Or you could just do a magic kiss that nobody's, it's another power nobody's ever heard of, you know, the date kiss mind wipe thing it's better than you know pointy finger marginally so i mean it's it's another example of story baloney you know ursa could do magic kiss i know this i know that in as we speak now and I don't remember. I mean, I probably saw Superman, Superman two before Superman three, getting them on VHS in the late eighties or whatever. But look, Superman three is a terrible, terrible, terrible dumpster fire. Uh, in fact, child me liked Superman four better than Superman three, and Superman four is just wow. notoriously garbage. Oh my yeah. gosh! Um, but I would have liked. Look, when they're making this movie, I don't know how much of a of a plan they had for Superman three. Aside from saying, you know, Superman three coming soon in the credits, Uh, another comic book move. Watch the credits to find out what's next. Comic book movie move. Um, But I wouldn't have minded a Superman three. We're now, you know, Pete. It's almost like it could be the name of a super an ongoing Superman storyline or a TV show if Lois and Clark were dealing with the secret. I don't know why they feel the need to reset after two movies other than, well, that's just kind of what you do then question mark, except meanwhile, over at star Wars, they don't reset after every movie. They continue to go on and on. So why not continue to evolve here? Um, Whatever though, we get hashtag justice against Rocky and hashtag justice for the white house. Um, So I guess it's, Win, win, win. You got to go back and beat up Mr. Wonderful. Okay. You you have to do it. You have to return to that. Oh, he's been working out. He's totally not Superman. That's how he was able to do that. And then the, the patriotism of bringing the flag back to the White House. Sorry, I was away. Won't do it again. 
Um, and and you could only end this by circling the earth, seeing the sun, the the hope of the future, and then, as you said, the promotion of a forthcoming film, which we will not be doing on this <laughs> this outing of the DC Film Fest. Um, yeah, slaps uh, opening sequence. You know, I mean, listen, I mean, as far as pop culture, the legacy of Superman three, there is no office space if not for Superman three. So it did lead to something good. And you know what's weird? And I again, I there's no way I have seen Superman three in adulthood. I probably have not I seen have, it. I own it. Wow. I probably haven't I, seen it since cool. the 1980s. I have, that's where I have the Donner cut. I have the, the whole Christopher Reeve quadrology um but i remember is there a line in superman 3 where they say to not lex luther something about like a new different pair of socks every day and he says yes i do wear a new pair of socks every day yes. and somebody says well, what do you yes. do with the old ones and he says i don't know give them to orphans or something yes i don't know why that sticks with me but i think that is incredibly that's super funny and you know super illustrative of the character and so forth so I, listen you no know, vaughn's not bad for not being gene hackman um pete any kind of thoughts in summation here uh for superman 2 before we go to social media superman 2 remains the best superman movie to this date um matt will not talk in this podcast about his favorite superman movie uh, Superman Returns, which uh, ignores three and four and uh, only observes the first two films, something I rewatched this week. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's there. So much hope for that and so much failure within it. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to shifting to the Caped Crusader and from one great comic book movie to a very different type uh equally great i've in my lifetime i've never seen a great superman movie at the movies i remember superman returns i remember towards the climax i mean i'm usually i'm, I'm very careful like going to the movies i'm not really a, a movie popcorn and soda person usually i'm like oh leaving for the movies in a little bit let me have a little you know, a little sip of water to wet my whistle and go to the bathroom before the movie because I don't want to be, you know, we, we've all been there where you got to go. And, you know, what do you do when you're in the movie? You watch the movie, blah, blah, blah. Superman Returns was the first movie where I was like, nope, uh, I need to go. And it's the climax of the movie. I don't care. My desire. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it wasn't like Pete. I was having a bathroom emergency. I was just like, no, my desire to go outweighs my desire you to see the next movie. You create a new continent. Um, all I know is this, Pete. Look, it's a movie directed by Brian Singer, uh, and Kevin Spacey plays the bad guy. How could it possibly age poorly? I don't know. Um, particularly in a movie where, what, in Superman 2, he says, I, I won't let you down. I won't leave again, Mr. President. And then in Superman Returns, the successor to it, he's been gone for five years. But hey, Pete, let's go to social media, uh, where I was, here I was not enjoying watching this movie uh but then here's how the vote went so it shows me pete that i'm just i'm the outlier here 
Uh, what did you think of the movie was the question. One star, not very good. That's why I would have voted it. Zero percent. Two stars, The Search for More Money, also zero percent. I'll just point out, Pete, it did like $120 million less than Superman 1. Uh, three stars, High Flying, 44.4%. Four stars, Puzo's Perfect, which was my own little attempt at a at a poison pill in the answer there, Pete, 55.6%. I am in the vast minority here. Uh, let's hear from some people on Twitter. First one, Major Noel Gardner at Noel Camille, who says four-year-old Noel saw this in theaters and was fascinated by the thin glass prison. Great villains, and I'm all about that. On rewatch now, it holds up okay. A little cheesy, but it's of its time. Also, Lois, high dosing vitamin C with a cigarette in her mouth is hilarious. I would agree, Pete. If only the movie could have had her not be a chain smoker, but they took Marlboro money. Right. Uh, next tweet here from It's Twitter Not Life at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. I remember being incredibly psyched that we were going to see uh, superpowered people fight. And I had a big commemorative book about this one. I still love this movie, but I've never understood this, the part with Superman Shield being a weapon. What, uh, what was that? Um, again, I would say it's. Say it's story bull feathers. Uh, Pete, before I read the last tweet here, I just want to say, as a kid, I had a Superman 3 board game. That the memory of playing it, and you know, kind of was like similar to Monopoly somehow. It was that kind of, you know, go around and whatnot. So, like, there are specific stills from the movie that are in the board game, whether they're at the places on the board game or on the cards or whatever. Like, there's stills from the movie that I remember better than the movie. So it's this weird, like, to me, Superman 3 is the board game and me playing it at my grandma's house more than seeing the movie itself, which is just sure. it's just weird. Anyhow, uh, last pair of tweets here. First one teed up from Spider-Ham Lincoln at TessLC139. Superman 2, what a great sequel and the best Reeve movie, in my opinion. As with the original, I first saw it on cable TV as a kid. Terrence Stamp's Zod is iconic. The movie is extremely rewatchable. And uh, KCLYLE1 says Stamp is the Zod, which I think we can all agree with. Completely. Want to take this chance, Matt, to thank everybody who contributes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to choose from. You place the value on the product, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you in there. Early listens, all sorts of other goodies behind there can't contribute though get over to apple Podcasts, leave us a rating leave us a review to any of our 35 soon to be 36 podcasts indeed a big thanks to those who keep us listener supported and big thanks to everybody who shares those ratings as well pete let's keep the dc conversation going the comic book conversation going especially with an eye towards batman next week how can people be in touch with you on social media you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on threads. You can find me on blue sky at Peter P I E T E R J K L R K E T E L A A R 12,600. No, 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 no. Followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost. Do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads where we are fantastic geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. 
And just to reiterate, next week we will be doing uh, a vastly superior movie. Uh, we'll be doing Batman, 1989's Batman. Really looking forward uh, to that discussion. For reference, uh, as with all of these films in the DC Film Fest that we're doing, streaming on Max. You can also find Batman uh, on Tubi with ads uh, if you want to refresh your memory on that. Um, and just looking ahead through the rest of the month, the week after that will be Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, the animated offering, and then um, we'll be concluding with either Batman Forever or Batman and Robin. We'll see how the Patreon uh, vote goes there. I know it is leaning one way versus the other, but we're keeping that poll open until later in this month. Uh, so, Pete, I will see you next bat time, next bat channel, and say adios to all our listeners and give you the final Superman 2 word. Talk to you soon.